Well, it's, it's been said that, as the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Do you feel that today? Or do you feel something different or a mixture? Another song says, all I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. Is there a romantic relationship that you uh, desire? Or hopefully it's only your spouse. Um, the old song says, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, right? And so we, we hear songs that explain or kind of tell a story about Christmas or, or give some ideas of human longing within, within this season. There's a human longing um, that we all have. And one of the things that I love but, but also feel a bit stressed about and have for many, for many years is the aspect of gift giving during Christmas time. I love it. Um, I love being able to give gifts, and it's a delight to be able to receive gifts. But one of the things that it often does, and maybe you, you feel like this too, is it creates stress. It's like, what do I get aunt so-and-so, or, or mom, or brother? And you just kind of, like you're all worked up, and you're focused on this gift that may or may not be used, right? Um, or you may get something that, that you don't use, um, and, and, and so what, what happens is oftentimes we get caught up in the materialism of the season. And, and, and good intentions to be generous, which this, this time of year, I think it's great to respond to the generosity, um, the spirit of generosity that the Lord is working in his people. I love that more people tend to be generous during this time of year. That's a beautiful thing. And I think we should embrace that aspect of the culture while resisting, while resisting the materialism and the greed that also accompanies this system, we want to, this season, and we want to push back on that. Because the things of this world are never going to satisfy us. They're never going to make us happy. They're never going to give us the peace that we long for. All right, And so this Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent, traditionally the church has focused on the theme of peace, and rightfully so. And I appreciate it that it's so, because oftentimes this time of year we're feeling stressed out for a number of reasons. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to bring peace into the world through his coming. He came to bring peace with God, God and sinners reconciled. He came to reconcile relationship, broken relationship with God, broken relationships with others. He came to bring his rule and reign in our hearts, and we celebrate that at Advent. Adam, Advent, Advent means the coming or the arrival of, of something or someone, and it's his coming or arrival that we celebrate and remember during this season. Let me just share with you some stats uh, from, a, from a poll taken in 2021, uh, speaking about the, 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 um, the engagement of shopping and, and the tendency towards materialism during this season. The average American planned to spend $886 on Christmas for gift giving. Parents reported that they intended to spend just short of $300 per child. 10% of, of Europeans reported going into debt to fund their Christmas shopping. 40% of Americans said that they expected to take on debt 
to buy their gifts. In 2023, this year, 74% of Americans plan to use credit cards um, to purchase their, their Christmas gifts. So in light of this tendency that we may have the pressure that some of us may feel to live beyond our means in this season and just put it on the credit card, and some people have that debt that continues over to the next year, right, unfortunately, we need to push back on that. And in light of that, I would like to share about learning contentment in every season. I think this is connected with the theme of peace because I, I think oftentimes we let materialism and the draw, the things of this world, rob us of our peace when God has already provided everything we need for life and godliness. He's already provided everything we need to be content in this life. And if we give in to what the world focuses in on, focuses on during Christmas time, we're going to end the season feeling dissatisfied, disillusioned, and, and regret emotionally and um, financially even. The Apostle Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father, would you speak to us this morning through these words, through your words. Remind us, remind us of all that we have in Christ. Remind us of your faithfulness and guiding and providing and being with us through every season, through every storm, through every valley, through every mountaintop. God, you have been with us. You have been there and you are here now. You have come into our lives. And we invite your rule and your reign. Help us to resist the urge to give in to covetousness comparison, materialism, and the stress, unnecessary stress of this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. We can learn, as Paul did, to be content in every season and situation of life because of God's gracious provision and his presence. We can learn to be content in every season and situation of life because of God's gracious provision and his presence. And so what is contentment? If you were to look up the Greek word for contentment, as um, William Mount says, he describes it as, um, well, it's defined as, in the Greek, as sufficient or adequate in one's self, contented with one's lot. You see, this was, this was the, 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 the Greek philosophers, they valued this and they had this idea. Their, their way of, of speaking about contentment was all about self and finding it within yourself. But the apostle Paul redefined it and redirected what contentment is all about. Namely, finding 
contentment in God, finding contentment in Christ through him who strengthens me, he says. The Holman Standard Christian or the Holman Standard Bible Dictionary says contentment is the internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. I think that's a helpful definition. There's a Puritan book uh, by Jeremiah Burroughs, and it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I love this title. He's, he describes contentment, he defines contentment as that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'm going to say it again because this is, this is a meaty definition. This is something to reflect on and chew on uh, here. I, and I go back to this. Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Okay, this is a rare jewel, and he describes it as a rare jewel because discontentment in this world is common, right? Contentment, even amongst Christians, can often be uncommon. It can often be rare, and it is a jewel to be tre treasured. It is, a, uh, a, a, uh, it is something for us to pursue as the people of God. Now, I want to highlight a couple things about contentment here. And as Paul describes it, first of all, contentment's not based on our circumstances, but it rather it supersedes them. The Apostle Paul, when he penned this letter to the Philippians, he was writing from a prison. And his circumstances were not very comfortable. As a matter of fact, when he started the Philippian church, he got thrown into prison. He was thrown into jail, and him and Silas were in there praising God, and God caused an earthquake, and the Lord moved, and the Philippian jailer got saved, Lydia got saved, the church got planted and started, and they saw Paul living this out. They saw Paul practicing what he preached, rejoicing always. Being content in good in, in, in favorable circumstances and where, when think, where, where he, he, had, he had much, and when he was brought low, he found he learned to be content in Christ. And so he's an example for us. And Paul describes in, in 2 Corinthians 12 and chapter 6, he describes some of the hardships that he went through where he was beaten and thrown in prison and falsely accused and, and he had all, shipwreck and he went through all these difficult circumstances where he was brought low. And then he describes there were times, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger an abundance and need. There were times where the Lord was providing for, for the Apostle Paul significantly. Perhaps when, when, and when after he got out of jail and he was uh, hanging out with, with uh, Lydia, the uh, wealthy uh, lady from Asia, uh, and from Thyatira in, in, in Philippi. Perhaps he had more than what he needed then. Um, 
And so he learned how to do this. He learned when, when circumstances were, were uh, where there was not much and where there was much. The second thing is, is that contentment is not automatic. It's learned. It's not automatically downloaded into us when we become Christians. Okay? Now, we have what we need. But we have to learn to be content with the needs that God has met. All right? And so this is something that he says, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And let me ask you today, what situation or season of life are you in? Are you in a season where you've been brought low, where you're just barely making it in life? Are you in a season of abundance where God has blessed you with more than, with what you need and more than what you need? And you see, it's as we walk through these circumstances in life that the Lord gives, he brings us through the school of contentment. He teaches us how to navigate those situations and those seasons. And he is sovereign over each one of those seasons. We've seen, there, you know, when we, when we look at celebrities and those who are ultra-rich, one of the things that, that we observe is that, that, they, they, that, that riches and money doesn't satisfy. It's not about how much you have to experience contentment. It's about learning to embrace and enjoy what you do have as a gift from God. And when, when, you're, when, when you're poor, when you don't have much, there are people who don't have much who can just experience peace and joy and happiness in life because they're not looking to the stuff to be that source for them. And so Proverbs teaches us, the wisdom of Proverbs teaches us about contentment. Proverbs 15, 16 says, it's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure with inner turmoil. Proverbs 16, 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one, then one, one rest content, untouchable by trouble. Proverbs 30, this is a well-known proverb. It says, uh, two things I ask of you, deny, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me the falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane, profane the name of of my God. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes also teaches us about contentment. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with, with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and whatever advantage has their owner, but to see them with his eyes. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether he eats little or much, but full, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot 
and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Saints, has God given you what you need in this season of life right now? And if so, are you content with his provision? Are you content with his presence in your life? And are you, and does, is that manifested by your ability to be present with those relationships that he's given you in this life? Is that manifested by you able to be present with him in prayer and with his word open? God has graciously provided all that we need. So what are the obstacles of contentment? Or what, what, what is it that, that leads us away from contentment into discontentment? I've come up as I've thought about this, a few, few of them. One of them is just the craving for more. I just want more. I just want a little bit more. And again, the, the, those who have plenty and, and more than enough, they, they seem to also just want more. When will we be satisfied? It's been said that if you're not satisfied with what you have now, then you won't be satisfied when you get what you want. Craving for more, covetousness, greed, comparison. This is one of the big ones. Our tendency to compare with others with what they have in life and their lot in life rather than accepting our own lot and enjoying our own lot in life. We see others and we're like, oh, I want that. And there's this seed of discontentment that is sown in our heart as we scroll through Instagram or Facebook. And we're like, oh, we didn't, we didn't get to have that. I don't have that. Envy is another one, which, which goes hand in hand with this comparison. Uh, envying what other people, who other people are and their experiences and, and their, how God has provided for them. Expectations that are unbiblical and unreasonable. These, these are obstacles to our contentment. Paul said that, that with, with food and clothing, with these things, let us be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we want this. We want this great gain. We want this rare jewel in our lives. And we want, as parents, we want to teach our children to be content with having their needs met rather than having that next new thing that will only, that'll only be um, exciting to have while it's new, right? And, and then once, once it, the newness wears off, it's on to that next thing. Entitlement, the idea that I'm entitled, I should have this or that. It, my life should look like this or that. Making good things ultimate things, which is idolatry. Failure to recognize the value of what you do have and failure to enjoy what you have. Also, fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety are obstacles to our contentment. Jesus warned us of materialism and covetousness in Luke chapter 12. He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And listen to this statement. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do we shop like that? 
Do we live like that? That one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? The Gentiles, those who don't know God, Jesus said, are seeking after these things. What do we wear? What do we eat? They're preoccupied with those externals. And God says, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You see, this is just the water that we live in. This is the the culture that we live in, the American culture that we've been brought up in. With we've been given plenty. We have we have what we need, and we have more than enough. And even those who are poor within America may be considered rich compared to other poor areas of the world, impoverished areas of the world. Here's a beautiful little poem here to illustrate this problem of discontentment. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 30 that I wanted. The, The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was the middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. This poem illustrates the nature of discontentment in humanity. Always looking for something else. Not able to be present and enjoy the gift of now. With what God has gifted with gifted to you now and with whom God has gifted you now with and so why can we be content here's some reasons first of all god's provision is enough and i've already said this the apostle paul described this he said um, he said i can do all things through him who strengthens me here's the secret paul tells us what the secret is to contentment the secret that he learned the very next verse I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse has been taken out of context and misapplied by many athletes who who use it to say, man, I can win this game through Christ who gives me strength, right? Uh, And yet the context of this verse, Paul is talking about being content in the season of life, the situation of life that you're in, whether you have little or whether you have much. Being content with God's gracious provision in your life. He's been good to you. and He's been good to me. And then at, at the end, uh, towards the end there of the chapter in verse 19, he says to the, the Philippians, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was receiving financial support from the Philippians. They were, they were supporting him, and they were, they were participating, they, the quononia, the fellowship and participation of the gospel by supporting him financially. 
And he, and he was saying, I'm, I've learned to be content. I've learned to, uh, he tells them, them, them to rejoice always. And it's, it's such a positive, uplifting letter that he wrote from prison when circumstances were difficult in his life. And he makes this statement. He, this is telling them, God, my God will supply every need of yours. And so God's provision is enough for our contentment. He gives us strength to make it through every situation and every season that he leads us in. He gives us the strength to live well, to do his will. He he gives us the supply for our needs. He meets our needs. Food, shelter, those are the basics, right? You know, he gives us life and breath. Jesus said this, referring to God's gracious provision, our Heavenly Father's gracious provision in Luke 12. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Perhaps that's a word for somebody here today. Fear not. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. He also has provided sustaining grace for us. The Apostle Paul, in another very difficult circumstance in his life, in which he described the circumstance as a thorn was given to him in his flesh, a messenger of Satan uh, was given to buffet him, to keep him humble because of the abundance of revelations that he had. And he... And notice this, he, he, he pleaded with the Lord three times. Contentment, by the way, is not passivity. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not fatalism and just saying, well, whatever will be, will be. The apostle Paul was in pain and he was going through a difficult time. And what did he do? He pleaded with the Lord, take this pain from me. Because God works through prayers. God answers prayers. God chooses to meet our needs through prayers, through us asking for those needs to be met. Give us this day our daily bread. James 4 says you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we don't even ask for those things that we need or desire, and then we're all irritated and frustrated like, God, why why haven't you done this yet? Well, ask, right? Well, Paul was asking, and God answered him, but, but God didn't answer Paul in the way that he wanted him to answer him. This is what Jesus said in response to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's why we can be content in every season, every difficult season. Because God's grace is enough. His provision of grace, of strength, the supply of our needs, sustaining grace in our lives is enough. And we we may feel weak and weary, but his strength fits perfect in our weakness. And he meets us there. and, And we just need to come to him. We just need to slow down. We just need to come before the throne of grace boldly. To find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. 
You and I are in time of need when we are wrestling with discontentment in our hearts and in our lives. When we're stressed out and we're not finding contentment in God, we're in need. We're in need of grace. We're in need of mercy. And he says, come boldly and get that. And that's what Paul did. He wasn't passive and complacent. Jerry Bridges says this. He says that this is the secret of being content. To learn and accept that we live daily by God's unmerited favor, grace, given through Christ, and that we can respond to any and every situation by his divine enablement, grace, through the Holy Spirit. Another reason why we can be content is because of God's presence. God's presence with us. During this time of year, we think about the name Emmanuel that was given to Jesus, which means God with us. Jesus came into this world and he brought the presence of God with him. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father, the God man, the baby wrapped Deity wrapped in flesh, God incarnate. He came into the world and he brought his presence into this world. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's enough. That should be enough right there. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises his presence with us always. And he's enough. Is his presence enough in your life? C.S. Lewis said, said this. He said, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. In Psalm 73 the psalmist Asaph was expressing his grief over the prosperity of the wicked. And he f was starting to feel like, maybe it's vain that I've served God, purified, lived a holy life, and I'm following God. Because the wicked are prospering, they have so much, and they seem to be at ease, and life seems to be great for them. And I'm struggling, and I'm serving God, and I'm doing what's right, and it's just too painful for me. Why has it got to be like this? And he's expressing his lament to God. He's expressing his lament in this psalm. He said, it was too painful for me, too grievous as I thought about this. Like, why? He says, until I went into the house of God. Until I went into corporate worship, I was reminded, I got a perspective that I needed to be renewed in. One, he was reminded of the destiny and the, the, the trajectory of the ungodly that they were on. Like, yeah, they may be at ease, but they got, they got some pain and discomfort and trouble await, that it's awaiting them, right? And, and then, and then he, he says this, and this is where he, he describes God's presence with him or God in his life. And he was reminded of what he has and why he should be content with his lot in life. Verse 23, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He goes on to speak about the wicked, how those who are far from God will perish. And he says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. And so let us be content with the presence of God in our lives. We have him. J.I. Packer says that this is the secret here. He says to realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord who both orders one's circumstances and gives strength to cope with them is the final secret of contentment. The final secret of contentment. Another reason why we can be content is because of God's peace. God's peace is enough for us. Peace and contentment are closely connected. And God has provided that for us in Christ. It's, it's a gift that accompanies the coming of Jesus into this world. It's a gift of Advent, yet it's something that must be cultivated in our lives. We're told in Colossians 3 to let the peace of Christ reign in our hearts we're told in philippians chapter 4 to be anxious about uh, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus Finally, brothers, whatever's true and whatever's honorable and whatever's just and whatever's pure and so on, think on these things and what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God's peace is enough. Do you have a tendency to be anxious and, and fearful and frantic? And is, does, does this season intensify that anxiety, that stress in your life? Philippians 4 gives us a prescription in how to combat that practically, to be prayerful and to, to, to let God bring his peace into our life, into the situation. And, and another one is God's power and his promises. Second Peter chapter uh, 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We also see that we, we can be content because of God's good and wise plans. They're enough for contentment. God's good and wise plans. God had good and wise plans for you and me even before we were born. His plans for us are good. Jesus said this, fear not little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That expresses the heart of the Father and His good plans for you. Going back to Jeremiah Burroughs' definition of Christian contentment, he, he, he uh, communicates this, this concept here. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, 
quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Notice that last phrase, God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. We can be content in every season because of the providence of God. Because of the good plans and the wise plans of God that he has for our life and that he is bringing about in our life. He works all things together for our good. Nothing can separate us from his love. David celebrated the the reality that, that God had seen him before he was Uh, While he was in his mother's womb, in Psalm um, uh, 139, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that that were formed for me, when yet there there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more Then the sand, I I wake and I am still with you. Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a book that I, I pulled out from my shelf this week as I was preparing this. It's called The Power of Christian Contentment by Andrew um, D- Davis, I believe, uh, Miss typo there. And he defines Christian contentment as this. Christian contentment is finding delight in God's wise plan for my life and humbly allowing him to direct me in it. He says, without providence, it would be impossible to find contentment in any and every circumstance. Some of y'all know the story of Fanny Crosby, the, the hymn writer who was, was blind. Uh, she became blind. And at eight years old, she penned this poem. She said, oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. What a beautiful declaration from an eight-year-old. Also consider the life of Jesus Christ. And him being born. Him leaving the riches of heaven, the glories of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Think about how Jesus came into lowly circumstances when he came into this world, born into a poor family. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph, young Mary and Joseph, surprise, baby, on the way, right? No, no baby shower. No, uh, you know, like here, you, you, you're, you know, the marriage before, like this miraculous uh, um, uh, pregnancy, right? And 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 then they're entrusted with the life of Jesus, and financially they were they were poor. 
right? And Jesus grew up in Nazareth, right? He grew up and, and, and he lived his life for 33 years with contentment, doing the will of the Father, right? Jesus said in John 4, 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. As you read John's gospel, he was all, he, he used his language describing his, his uh, being aligned with the Father's timing and the Father's plan for his life. And he submitted to the Father's good and wise plan for him, which included suffering. It included him suffering and dying upon the cross for our sins. So that we might have life. You see, Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who, who, who lived a life of contentment. Who lived a life of patience as we talked about. Who lived a life of righteousness. He did what each of us have failed to do and he died in our place. So that we can find his mercy and find his grace. Contentment frees us up to live on mission. When we learn to be content in Christ, like the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, it will free us up and enable us to be adaptable and flexible to engage in mission. It will also enable us to be generous to others. When we're content in Christ, we're content with how God has provided for us. Tony Merida and uh, Francis Chan uh, wrote these statements here contentment makes you adaptable how can people leave it all leave it all for a foreign mission field here's how they are preoccupied with jesus not their circumstances they have chosen to live out philippians 4 11 through 13 they don't need a bunch of stuff and familiar comfortable surroundings See, contentment enables us to live on mission for Jesus, and we need that. We need to fight for that so that we can be in a place that we can think about our neighbors who need Jesus, and we can think about reaching out to our city that needs Jesus and reaching out to this world that needs Jesus. And so let me close with a couple of points. First of all, i got two, two questions. Has a lack of contentment made you less flexible to live on mission? Has a lack of contentment made you less flexible to live on mission? To, to be others-oriented and mission-focused. And then this is taken from a devotion that my wife and I uh, read through this week. What not enough makes you feel anxious this time of year? Not enough time, money, relationships, given both our abundance and limitation, what deserves our prior prioritization? And so let me close with three points um, of application here. First of all, reflect on how God is your sufficiency. We're not self-sufficient, we're God-sufficient. He's enough. Christ sufficient. He's enough. We look to him for our sufficiency. That's what Paul did. He says, we're not sufficient in ourselves in 2 Corinthians, right? 
He found his sufficiency in God and God's provision and God's presence, God's power, God's promises, God's providence and good plans in his life. And enjoy, enjoy the presence of God and find strength from him through prayer. This Advent season, sit in the presence of God, quiet yourself, T- take, take some time this season to enjoy, to take it in. Just be with him. Like, like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. Kind of take, take a pause from being like Martha for, for a little bit. And just busy serving, stressed out, frustrated with others that aren't doing what, they're, what she's doing. Lord, tell her to help me. Aren't you going to tell her to help me? Like, just find some space this Advent season to sit with Jesus. And let him minister to you. Get in that sweet frame, that gracious frame of spirit where you're just submitted to your father's good and wise leading in your life and you're content with him. Sing, worship, pray, delight in him. And resist the temptation to compare with others or envy them. As we scroll through our social media, as we hear about this event or that event that someone gets to go to, be content with how God has provided for you. And sometimes that can be manifested through just a quiet evening at home by yourself with the Lord or with your family. Just embrace the gift of now instead of letting this, 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 this gnawing um, desire for more or something else. Oh, let's do that or let's do this or let's get that or let's get this. God's given you and I what we need in this life to do what he's called us to do, to be who he's called us to be. We have what we need. Amen. If you all would stand with me, we're going to pray together a 